When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, and I'm sitting here talking to Jimmy Stein, but we are not in the same place. And I want to make that very clear right now. I'm sitting <laughs> in the comfort of my home office. Jimmy, on the other hand, well, you know what, Jimmy, I'll let you tell everybody where are you at right now. I'm in the graveyard. I'm in uh, I'm in I'm in a, the Tuscaloosa cemetery. That is yeah, not a right metaphor. quite literal. Um, <laughs> we're on a Zoom call and Jake, the producer, um, Jake Evans and myself both noticed that Jimmy is straight up in a cemetery. It's good to know he's now showing us a view of the cemetery and I want it to be known he's not standing or sitting on anybody's grave. He's being nope. respectful. Nope. He's on a walkway. But That's right. They're trying to rest in peace, and you're over here trying to, you know, force the the Bama on three show down their throats, which I'm completely for. Let's let's grow this audience. I mean, we we have no preference. Living dead. If you're willing to listen, we're we're willing to talk to you. These people are uh, these people are buried across the street from Bryant Denny Stadium, literally across the street from Bryant Denny Stadium. I'm in that that cemetery, so I figure they need an update as to what's going on right now. Uh, because they haven't been able to to watch uh, in person in quite a while, and they're right across the street from the stadium. It's got to be very frustrating. So uh, we'll uh, we'll let them listen to the show and kind of uh, clue them in on uh, on what's going on right now. So I'm guessing, and we talked about this off air um, or before we started recording. I'm guessing that's where they put all the the dead bodies that Alabama finishes up with on Saturdays. That's kind of just where they bury them. It's very convenient. It's right there next to the stadium. Don't have to move. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to find a few uh, 2021 Southern Miss guys in here after uh, what happened this past Saturday. Would not be surprised to find that at all. Also, I want to make it clear um, for this week, our producer, Jake, he's an old Miss fan. So if, 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 right. the, if anything gets messed up with the audio or he hears something that he doesn't like that we say about old Miss and you, you all of a sudden just hear some kind of random cutout, I want you people to know up front it's completely Jake's fault. It is not our fault. We, we have to – we have to be nice and play nice as much as possible so we can actually get the information we're trying to relay to you guys over to you guys. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, well, we're going to dive right in. Um, Jimmy, haven't really had a chance to talk with you about the uh, Southern Miss game, and that's going to be so confusing. Why are you going to go Southern Miss and Old Miss? I've been doing that. I've been stuttering um, one way or the other, saying Old Miss when I should be saying Southern or saying Southern when I should be saying Old. Um, but kind of getting your reaction – to Saturday's performance, 63 to 14. Obviously, there was a lot of good, especially offensively. And then there was also a little bit, you know, it wasn't perfect, um, especially defensively. So kind of what were some of your initial thoughts from the game? And then I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and watch it again, but as you've kind of distanced yourself from Saturday, is there anything else that you've kind of come up with? Well, it went about like, like I thought it would go in the sense that everything was in place for Alabama not to play well. Alabama was coming back from a road trip against a top 10 team. There's a huge game next week against a uh, top 10 or nearly top 10 Ole Miss. 
This is the classic sandwich game, a, a huge favorite. Exactly the setup Alabama had for Mercer, you know, between games against top competition and, and a highly hyped national network game. Alabama came out, you know, it just, just didn't play well at all against Mercer. But this time Alabama put it together pretty good. I, I think for a sandwich type game, Alabama played with good intensity and, uh, and and put Southern Miss away quickly, returning the opening kickoff for a touchdown. I, I, I just think overall, considering the opponent, considering that sometimes in these sandwich-type games, Alabama has not played down to the level of the competition, but just sort of not executed well, not executed sharply, not playing with a lot of intensity. But I thought they did Saturday. And in particular, I was happy that a few guys who didn't play so well against uh, Florida did play well against Southern Miss. Notably, I think Christian Harris played played really well. He was a staff player of the week. We'll, we'll go over that later. Um, but overall, really well. I mean, Bryce and Jamison were the big stars to me. Jamison setting not just all-time Alabama records, but all-time SEC records, returning two kicks for a touchdown, plus catching a bomb. Uh, again, another huge long-distance reception for a touchdown. And Bryce was, uh, you said it wasn't perfect, and that's true, but Bryce was nearly perfect. Really might have been, if not for a bobbled uh, ball from uh, Jamison that ended up in, in the hands of a Southern Miss defender. Bryce nearly perfect, becoming the first Alabama player to complete over 90% of his passes for five, and with five touchdowns. So Bryce, certainly uh, you can't win a Heisman against Southern Miss, uh, but you can lose it. Uh, Bryce did nothing to lose it, just kind of stayed in the race, and, and, and now he's going to be on a really tall Heisman stage with uh, fellow favorite Matt Corral on Saturday. Yeah, and, and for me, and you make a good point, and it's something I really didn't think about, but the, the stage was kind of set between two big games for this to be a struggle performance for Alabama. Now, for me going in, and it's something that I kind of said all week for anybody who would listen, was I was going to be watching intently to, to see how focused Alabama was coming into this game because the, to me, the wake-up call was last week, or, or you would hope that it was the wake-up call. Because even though Alabama won, which is something that does not always happen, when you need to have your wake-up call, typically that results in a loss. Alabama was able to escape a very tough road environment against Florida with a victory, but they were the, you know, Florida was the better team for three quarters or two and a half quarters at the very least. And so seeing Alabama, you know, perform that way, you would hope that they would say, okay, we need to start getting our mind right. Um, you know, if they would have had a Mercer type of performance after what we witnessed, you know, against Miami, it's a little bit more understandable. 44 to 16, everybody's telling them how good, great, wonderful they are. But against Florida, you know, the, everybody was kind of down on them following that game. And, you know, for them to respond like they did and come out and play a very good football game. Um, one of the key aspects of this Southern Miss game, at least in my mind, was there were times where, you know, one uh, spot in particular, the defense allows a long drive. Southern Miss scores a touchdown. And then on the ensuing kickoff, Jamison Williams uh, kind of runs past it. It gets by him, and then Alabama's offense gets pinned deep. So you start to see that lack of intensity or that lack of focus start to show up a little bit, at least from the on the defensive side of the football and then on special teams. The offense didn't allow that to affect them. They didn't make it a snowball effect where they go three and out deep in their own territory. Now you're punting after, you know, just allowing Southern Miss to score. Alabama, you know, was able to drive down the, the length of the field on a, you know, multi-play drive and put a touch, another touchdown on the board. 
And I thought just having that kind of response and, and making sure that you were able to maintain intensity um, was absolutely huge. And it was the offensive side of the football, wasn't the defense. And defense has its own issues, don't get me wrong. I thought they played a good game, but certainly not a great game. And I was kind of surprised. I don't know if you were, but just going in, um, I thought that if Southern Miss was going to have any sort of success, when you looked at Florida's run game and the fact that they had all that, that success with it, and then you turn around and you look at Southern Miss's passing game and the lack thereof going into this past Saturday, and then you look at you know the fact that they had Frank Gore Jr., I was thinking that if they found offensive success, it was going to be like a big pop play you know, against the run. And you know Frank Gore Jr., he had nine carries for only seven yards on the night. Um you know, Southern Miss only averaged two and a half yards per carry. And now some of that includes quarterback sacks and things like that. But overall, just what were your what was your assessment of the defense? Oh, really, really good. Uh, I know it was disappointing to see Southern Miss score two touchdowns when they when they had managed very little uh, scoring production against South Alabama and Troy. But when you look at their numbers, Alabama gave up virtually nothing. Ty Keys, the freshman quarterback. Uh, he completed a few balls. I think he threw for uh, around 140, 150 yards, but it was very inefficient based on his number of attempts. I mean, you just can't look at Taki's number numbers and see any success in the passing game. And then you look at the running game, and yeah, they do have a pretty talented kid in, in Frank Gore Jr., but their leading rusher in the game was quarterback Taki's, uh, who rushed for 40 50 yards. A lot of that was just on scrambles running for his life. They weren't on necessarily design quarterback runs. So uh, no one had a statistically significant performance for Southern Miss at all. They did have one receiver that had three catches for 60 yards. If you're going to look through their stats and find any bright spot, it's just that guy, three catches for 60 yards. Of course, Jameis, he had more yardage than that just with his one long reception. So I think generally the defense played better than uh, than what that 14 points looks like for Southern Miss. Uh, they really didn't give up much for Southern Miss. It's just what little uh, the Golden Eagles were, were, you know, what little they managed to do was all sort of stuffed into two possessions. They punted nine times in the game. So I, I think overall it, it wasn't dominating, but it was a, a, a really good performance particularly sandwiched between two big games because we all know what's on the defense's plate this week. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And, and there were some tough uh, third and long situations that I really felt like Alabama's defense had an opportunity to get off the field, and they didn't. And Nick Saban talk, talked about that in his postgame press conference. Um, five of 15, allowing five of 15 on third down uh, you know, conversion attempts. That's not terrible. It's not great, right. but it, it's really not terrible. But I think it was just one or two that stand out in your mind where I think it was a third and 10 or a third and 11 allows them to convert. And then there was another third and long that they converted. And, and it's like you get, in those situations, you put the offense, the opposing team's offense in a very tough situation, get off the field. And against Ole Miss, getting off the field in those situations, if they present themselves, could make the difference in whether or not you're able to create any sort of significant separation that you're going to need to if you want to beat a very, you know, high-powered, high-scoring uh, Ole Miss offense. But – and you talk about Grayson Gunner, which was the guy who caught the three catches for 60-plus yards, tight end. Uh, you know, over the, last, over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, whether it be Florida or whether it be Southern Miss, Alabama struggled to cover the tight ends. And I thought someone made an excellent point. Uh, I brought up Alabama's dynamic tight end duo and asked if they was the best – 
you know, are they the best tight ends in the country? And someone said, whether it's, you know, that duo or whoever Alabama's playing, that's going to be the best tight end uh, in the country. <laughs> and, and I thought that was a great uh, tweet, a uh, great reply to that, because it's true. At times in the past, you know, Evan Ingram for Ole Miss several years ago, there have been others um, have had a lot of success against Alabama's defense. And I hope that's not becoming an issue moving forward. Um, but we'll kind of have to see. As far as offensively, you know, two things – well, I guess really three things immediately come to mind when it comes to the offense. Now, granted, you're going to mention that big pop from Jamison Williams, and because he's a wide receiver, you're going to take those two kickoff returns for a touchdown and kind of group that in and say just offensive playmaker or, or you know, you put the ball in his hands, he's going to make big plays. That's something that's going to immediately come to your mind. But that was Jamison Williams' only catch of the day, and he did have that key drop that led to – um you know, Bryce Young's first interception of the season. But as far as the three things I'm talking about, first of all, it was Bryce Young and the, you know, near perfect game that he had. You know, you we, we talked about last week going in, we were thinking, you know, 13 to 16, you know, 14 right. to 17 for, you know, 215 yards, 220 yards, three touchdowns. Far exceeded those expectations. Um but that's the first thing that's going to come to mind, at least for me. The second is going to be that tight end duo and the fact that, you know, Jaleel Billingsley is now fully um, involved in the offense once again, and he's a dynamic playmaker. He's going to cause opposing defenses a lot of issues this year. And then you got Cameron Latou, who's still that big-bodied 6'5", 250 pounds, can play the end line, can line him up out wide. He's going to be a red zone threat. So I just think the skill sets of those two guys perfectly complement each other. And we were able to see, you know, how effective that can be and how efficient that can be for Alabama's offense. And then the other part is the running back duo, which, you know, if you would have said going into this game that Brian Robinson Jr. is out and there's going to be a running back duo that ends up still having a great day, I would have said, okay, you know, it's good to hear that Jace McClellan and Trey Sanders had a great day. Instead, it was Jace McClellan and, and Roydell Williams, who were both a part of that 2020 uh, recruiting class. So, Talk a little bit about those guys and, and what your initial thoughts were on them. It was great to see uh, Roy Dell in such a featured role when you would assume he would be not buried, but, but, you know, fourth on the depth chart is thought going into the season. But I think what's happened with Trey Sanders is, is kind of what we talked about all summer. And that's that, yes, he's cleared for contact. Yes, he can play. Yes, he's close to a hundred percent physically, but, I don't think what I've seen from Trey, uh, he's played really well when he's gotten in, but I don't think he's quite as fast or has quite the quickness he had before the accident. On top of that, there's the mental part, the emotional part. I just think maybe there was too much too soon with Trey. He looked better in fall camp than anyone imagined. I'm not saying he was rushed back, but maybe it's just too much too soon. Uh, we shouldn't assume that we won't see a better Trey Sanders for the rest of the season. But Roy Dell showed he's not some consolation prize. Roy Dell is a heck of a back. I think, frankly, that he's a really good combination of Jace and Brian Robinson. Brian's really good with the physical stuff, the third and two, the goal line stuff. It's hard to get Brian down to the ground. He He's an automatic two, three, four, five yards every carry because he'll bring defenders with him towards the sticks. He just doesn't have a lot of breakaway ability, doesn't have a lot of suddenness, uh, doesn't have a lot of burst. 
Well, those are the sort of things that Jace has. Jace, that's what Jace brings to the table. That's what Jace's specialty is making people miss, uh, making you miss in a phone booth, making something out of nothing, and occasionally hitting a home run. Jace is a speed, quickness guy. Well, Roydell's a little bit of Brian and a little bit of Jace. Uh, Roydell, I think, just my opinion, he's a tougher inside runner than Jace. Roydell's more likely to run through tackles than Jace is. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's not a huge physical guy like B-Rob, but he's just a more physical runner than Jace. He is quicker and has more suddenness than Brian does. He's just kind of a uh, kind of, you know, just right in the middle of, of what you see from Brian and Jace. That's why I think that the three of them make an excellent committee. Uh, they all three bring something different to the table. And what Roy Dell can bring to us now, Clint, that's important is uh, is these fresh legs. Uh, Roy Dell hasn't played much yet but i think he's earned himself some more playing time after this performance this past weekend who would have guessed when the season started clint and it looked like brian one jace two trey three roydell four that it would be roydell that had the first hundred yard game among all the running backs and uh it probably won't be his last and that yeah i found that interesting too and, and if you actually think back Against Miami, Roydell was the third running back in the game. It was first B-Rob, then it was uh, Jace McClellan, and then you had Roydell, and then he had that fumble. And, it, and Nick Saban acknowledged that in the post-game press conference. He, he got himself into the doghouse a little bit uh, after that fumble, and he's been able to work his way back from a confidence standpoint and from a getting back in the good graces of the coaching staff and, and you know kind of earning their trust back a little bit. He's been able to do that as well, and we now understand why – you know, he was, you know, considered to be an important part of the, the running back committee going into the season. Um, we, we forget this guy was a top 100 prospect and, and a very highly regarded player out of Hueytown. And, you know, I understand that Jason McClellan was ranked ahead of him. I understand that Trey Sanders was, you know, the number one running back in his class and was a five-star guy. And, you know, uh, Brian Robinson Jr. is kind of the veteran presence that's kind of earned his way. And he was a former you know, uh, a top 10 running back several years ago. But Roydell has plenty of talent, and I love your assessment of that. I do think that from a skill set standpoint, he brings a lot of elements of both B-Rob and of Jace McClellan, and that's a great way to put it. Um, and and like it's also, like you said, it's a good thing. You realize that Alabama's depth runs a lot deeper. Um, you know, if they had to go to a Trey Sanders at some point, I think that he would certainly be capable um, you know, we, we haven't really seen Kamar Wheaton yet because of the injury, but this running back stable for Alabama, I will continue to reiterate, there's no Najee Harris in this backfield, but there are tons of different styles of backs, but also share some similarities, uh, enough to be able to provide you with a solid committee approach. And then the thing about the running back group, that's crazy. And it's also the tight ends. It's something that I realized. Alabama has 16 passing touchdowns this season, 15 from Bryce Young, one from Jalen Milrow. Of those, six have come from the tight ends, four of them from Cameron Latou, two from Jaleel Billingsley. Those two from Billingsley have come in the last two weeks. And then at running back, they have four of the, the 16. So total, there's 10. Um, and, and Jace McClellan is just – He's been fantastic in that regard. A lot of stuff on the goal line where you're able to swing a pass out to him. He does what you're talking about. He makes a guy miss, and then he's able to get physical enough to get into the end zone. 
And I think that's a huge element. It, it just, you know, you, you think about Alabama's goal line offense and, and the way that it's been structured in the past. As far as the passing game, you've got two capable big body guys now at tight end who can create issues down there near the goal line. And then you got, you know, some running backs that you got to make sure you're covering out of the backfield because if they get the football in space, they can cause a guy to miss and, and score a touchdown as well. And then you just got the receivers at that point. And Alabama doesn't have any dominant red zone style of, of receivers right now, at least none that are playing. Uh, you know, you'd think that maybe a Treshawn Holden could be that guy and a Jai Hall with his athleticism, you know, Corey Brooks being that big bodied uh, style of player. But just the ones that are playing, John Mechie, um, you know, uh, Slade Bolden is kind of an undersized guy. Jamison Williams is more of a speed guy. He's got some size, but as far as being able to go up and, and win 50-50 balls, you know, don't really think that's too much of the case. And then JoJo Earl, uh, electric playmaker, but not really a goal on red zone style of receiver. I have found it interesting that Alabama's offense has kind of been more towards, you know, you know geared towards if, if they're in the red zone, they're looking for a tight end, they're looking for a running back. That's exactly right. Um, it's also I'm almost – you know, on the one hand, I don't want to call the wide receiver core disappointing because there has been big plays from Jamison. Mechie has been fine, uh, but it would be nice if that group developed someone that was a bit more maybe dependable. You know, Jamison has had a couple of drops, one this weekend led to the first Bryce Young interception. Uh, Mechie, Mechie's numbers have been good. I wouldn't say he's been a wide receiver one so much, or at least not what we're used to. I think Mechie is sixth in the conference in receiving yards. Uh, it would be nice if someone new stepped up. I was hoping that would be JoJo Earl. I really think it will be JoJo Earl at some point. I was thinking maybe this past weekend was a good breakout game possibility, and 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 it didn't happen. Now, against Ole Miss, you make a few assumptions, and, and one of the assumptions is it, it's, it's going to be a closer game than what Alabama's played in. Uh, outside of Florida, but a closer game with more points. So that means more throws. That might mean more receivers involved. But uh, as you pointed out, Clint, with the touchdown numbers, I think those touchdown numbers sort of prove that point, that the wide receiver, we need more production out of that wide receiver group. I don't know that Bryce can win a Heisman, nor do I know that Alabama can win a national championship if all of the throws are to the running backs and the tight end group. Alabama is going to need some dependability at wide receiver and, and more than just Jamison Williams every other week catching an 80-yard touchdown. It's weird to me because I understand that, that you've lost four first-round picks in the last two years at wide receiver, but the talent is still there. There's still plenty of, of guys who are capable. Now, granted, a lot of that young talent has not kind of been able to you know, rise up and find themselves in the rotation. You know, you you got JoJo Earl, who has been a very important rotational piece. He's listed as a co-starter. We both agree that we think that as the season continues, he's going to um, become more and more involved in the offense, and we're going to see some big plays out of him down the stretch probably. But I guess the next guy would probably be a Jai Hall at this point. Uh, I, just because of his, you know, um, ability to go up and win 50-50 balls, he's got – a, a phenomenal catch radius, big body guy at 6'3". Um, I think that he can add an element to this Alabama offense at some point this season as well. But you just don't see, even though they lost a lot of talent, you would think that they would have 
one just super reliable receiver. And then, you know, when you got to have the complementary pieces who, you know, kind of are, are playing a secondary role, but or maybe even less than that, because you at that point, if you had that one just really dependable wide receiver that you can rely on, and then, you know, you had the tight end group and the running backs, that would be totally fine. And then the other receivers can kind of fill in the gaps from there. But you, I, I agree that I think that they need at least one guy to end up stepping up, and I don't know who that's going to be. Everybody just assumed it was going to be John Mechie. And I think that he's been – I agree with you once again. I think he's been fine, but he has not been dynamic, not even as much as he was last year. And here's the thing. That was a huge question mark that we had about Devontae Smith, or at least I did, going into last season, is you know a lot of his success from the season before in 2019 was due to – the, the opposing defense is giving a lot of its attention to, to Jalen Waddle when he was healthy, um, or excuse me, back in 2019, it was uh, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III and Jalen Waddle. That was one thing that Tua Tungavaloa was, they, they stressed to him throughout that offseason going into the 2019 season is, hey, just learn to take what the defense gives you. And the defense was giving Devontae Smith a lot. Going into the 2020 season, you know, Jerry Judy was gone. Uh, Henry Ruggs III was gone. So it was going to be the Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle show. And you knew that the opposing defenses were going to be giving a lot more attention to Devontae Smith. And how would he respond to being the number one or, or you know, co-number one receiver? He responded with a Heisman Trophy winning season. Uh, he stepped up to that plate. That was a big question mark that I had for John Mechie going into this year. You had a huge performance in 2020 playing a complimentary role, but you had a lot of attention that was going to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle when he was on the field. What is John Mechie going to do once he becomes the guy? And so far, he's been okay, but he has not stepped up to the plate nearly as much as Devontae Smith did the year before. And I don't know if it's going to be him or if it needs to be somebody else. You know, he can still play an important role. Some guys are just set up better to be, you know, number two options or number three options. They're not really set up to be a guy who is getting all the attention or, or game planning from, you know, opposing defensive coordinators, you know, on a week-in, week-out basis, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that he has to be, you know, permanently in that role. But just for now, they might need somebody to step up and become that true number one receiver who can be reliable. But I do like where the offense is going. I do like the fact that, you know, you're going to have huge problems if you're a defense playing Alabama now moving forward simply because of them having those two big-bodied pass-catching options at, at tight end. And, and Nick Saban talked about that because they're so hard to defend. You know, when you – if you try to put a linebacker on him, um, you know, to match up with the size, a lot of times you're not going to be able to match up with the athleticism. If you try to put a safety or a corner, you know, a nickel guy, if they're playing big slot, if you try to put those guys on them, they can match the athleticism, but they can't match the size. And so finding that defender who can do both has the size and can match up from an athleticism standpoint, that's very difficult to do. And if you have two different guys that you have to, you know, defend against that are that way, I mean, it's hard enough to find one guy who can do it, much less two. So I, I do like where the offense is going, but there are still some question marks. Um, the, the next thing that I want to talk about is a little bit about Ole Miss before we get out of here. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts because there are different ways that you can feel pressure as a quarterback, right? There's pressure, literal pressure. Um, you're being blitzed or the defensive line's able to put pressure on you. How do you respond to that? Bryce is – responded very well he's been great under pressure there's getting pressure from the sense of you know you're playing in a tough hostile environment like the swamp we saw that from Bryce Young in Gainesville 
And I understand that he wasn't, you know, I think the the entire offense ended up trailing off over the course of the, the game. But for him, especially in that first quarter, handled the pressure extremely well. This is a new kind of pressure this week. And this is the pressure of trying to play uh, or, 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 you know, um, go head-to-head against a very high-powered offense. Against Florida, it was a run game that was eating seven, eight minutes off the clock, going 10-plus plays. Bryce is over there. You know, sometimes they would put up a touchdown. Sometimes they wouldn't. With Ole Miss, I mean, it's possible that they get into a rhythm where they're pretty much scoring every time they touch the football. That's going to put pressure on Bryce Young and really this entire Alabama offense, but in particular Bryce Young, to match that, to be able to continue to put points on the board every time you step on the field. If you think back to to Mac Jones last year against Ole Miss, how quickly into that game do you think he realized every time we step on this field, we're going to need to put up points. We're going to need to score touchdowns. If, if Bryce Young ends up finding himself in a similar situation, he's handled all the other pressures extremely well. How do you think you would handle that? Well, I think in terms of handling pressure and showing remarkable poise and composure, I think he's, he would be fine. But someone's going to have to be on the other end of those throws. I mean, you know, I, I think Bryce will handle it fine. I think, uh, you know, how, how our other players around him play is going to be big. And hopefully, you know, personally, I'm going to be disappointed if the defense puts the offense in that situation that they did a year ago in Oxford, where Alabama literally did have to score every possession to keep up, and they did. But this year, I'm going to be disappointed if the defense puts them in that spot again. Now, I'm not saying that Ole Miss won't have their yards and points. I could not be more impressed with Ole Miss offensively. Uh, For them, it starts with Matt Corral who is playing at a Bryce Young level, I mean, in terms of his efficiency and uh, his spectacular numbers uh, and the way he does it. He also does it with his legs. He's a, he's a, he's a really good athlete, but they, they run the ball well. They have a committee, just like Alabama does, of backs from, uh, you know, uh, Snoop Connor is kind of their third guy all of a sudden. Uh, he was their number one guy not too long ago, but Jerry on Ely and, and Parrish, I think, is their number two guy. Uh, Connor third, all three are productive backs. They have uh, a good uh, uh, threesome at wide receiver. Dontario Drummond has stepped into the Elijah Moore role as their number one guy. Jonathan Mingo's good. Braylon Sanders is good. Uh, and, and they're experienced up front, all three stars, but they play really well together. And it's, it's a heck of a, a unit that Lane Kiffin's put together. And Lane is as bright as there is in the country in terms of scheming his guys open in terms of, uh, of knowing how to attack a defense. So I'm not selling Ole Miss short. I realize what they are on offense right now, easily the number one offense in the SEC statistically. But after a year of, uh, of, of stewing about how poor that performance was, uh, after a year of watching Ole Miss on tape, uh, you know, uh, and what they tried to do to us a year ago, I'm going to be disappointed if it's another 44, 45, 46-point performance by Ole Miss. Is Ole Miss good enough to do that against anyone? Yes. But if Alabama wants to win a national championship, they don't need to be elite on defense. They don't need to be a national top three, top five unit. But you can't just assume you're going to give up 40 to good offenses and think you're going to win a national championship. Uh, It's time for the defense to step up, not a shutout, not holding them to 10, not even really holding them to 17 or 18. That might be impossible as good as Ole Miss is on offense. But, you know, mid-20s, high-20s, do that. That gives the offense a chance to win the game without the pressure that you talked about. 
Well, and kind of what I look at is Florida put up 29, right? And they did it by, you know, prolonged drives. Ole Miss, I don't think they're going to quite have the same, uh, you know, time of possession on a on a drive-by-drive basis. Um, they can score quickly. What I'll be curious to see is how much they end up implementing their tight end because up to this point, the tight ends have not been super involved in that offense. If you're looking at Alabama, you're saying we got to figure out a way to get the tight end involved because that's a that's certainly a way that this defense has been exploitable so far, and they're going to be giving so much attention to our receivers and our running backs. We can end up getting you know Chase Rogers or whoever else, uh, you know, into that into the mix and really trying to put a strain on Alabama that way as well. And I do think that you're going to see – you've seen Matt Corral's legs, but, you know, Nick Saban talking about it, he mentioned, you know, he'll run sometimes. I think against Alabama, when you've watched what, um, you know, Emory Jones was able to do, what, you know, you watched Ty Keys this past week, what he was able to do on the ground as far as extending some plays and, and you know, Alabama's defense breaking down and him getting some chunk yardage. I think Matt Corral, they're going to kind of Joe Burrow him a little bit, um, you know, in that 2019 game. Joe was a, a, you know, he could escape pressure as good as anybody. He could, you know, he was mobile enough to be able to rack up some yardage on the ground, but really there wasn't a whole lot of design QB stuff. But against Alabama a couple of years ago, they had some QB draws. They had some other stuff they put into the game plan because they knew with the way that Alabama's defense was going to be playing their spread attack with all those weapons all over the place, that there was going to be opportunities, especially on QB draws and things like that in, in certain situations where they could take advantage. And so I think Ole Miss is going to do something similar. Um, this is going to be a great game, in my opinion. And the way that I'm approaching it, and I want Alabama fans to go ahead and understand what my approach is going to be. doesn't mean that yours has to be the same, but it, it's the, the players like Will Anderson Jr. Are the, can be the difference makers in these types of games. Has Will Anderson Jr. single-handedly shut down an opposing offense yet? No, not even Southern Miss. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to – in that kind of role because of the way that you can be kind of game plan out of things to have a, any sort of shutdown ability for, as far as being a pass rusher. But it, to me, it's more about those one or two key stops. And I, I always say this when you're playing these styles of offenses, it's not about outscoring them to a point where it's, you know, 59 to 24 at the end of the game, that those possibilities exist. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm Alabama and I'm an Alabama fan, it's saying, okay, what we need, we're going to give up points this weekend. But what we need is for Will Anderson Jr. to force some kind of turnover um, or, you know, get some kind of big key third down sack and make them punt once, make the, you know, force a field goal by getting a key tackle on, on a third and short or whatever it ends up being. Those kinds of plays from those kinds of players creating just one or two punts or field goals instead of touchdowns and then hoping that your offense can continue. And Ole Miss's defense is a lot better than it was last year. I think it's much improved, but I also think it's still very exploitable. And so uh, I'll be curious to see how this ends up working out. We've spent a little bit more time talking about Ole Miss than I originally intended because we're going to be doing that on Thursday. And we're going to get, you know, the interview side of things. Um, and then we're also, me and you are going to be breaking down things as well. Uh, so we'll get both angles from it. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Absolutely great stuff as always. Thought you brought a lot of really interesting points and the stuff that Alabama fans want to hear. So thanks for joining me, man. Oh, I love it every time. And uh, it's a great show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I uh, really appreciate everyone subscribing to the Bama uh, BCS site on On3 Sports. Uh, read Clint's stories. Uh, great recruiting content all over the site. 
and uh, and and then we try to keep the uh, message board uh, filled with interesting, uh, detailed football posts. Absolutely. All right, this has been a lot of fun. Like I said, we'll be back on Thursday uh, with another episode of the, of the standard Bam on Three show. Looking forward to that, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.